I'll start over. There we go. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, it's good to see you all this morning. And uh, we continue on in the class, uh, starting points for Christian ethics. So, again, this class is just thinking through some theological or philosophical foundational uh, truths before we start to get into applied ethics and thinking about how do we, well, we actually are going to do a little bit of applied ethics this morning. So um, my goal, uh, this is the second, this is the second to the last week. So next week will be our last week. We'll take a break here for the holidays. Uh, so we'll have this class next week. And then after that, we'll uh, reconvene as the Lord should will uh, next semester at some point. My January is pretty busy with uh, the, the work that I do. So it, it, I don't know if it'll be January or it might not be till February, but there will be other uh, classes ha happening. And so please avail yourself to the other Sunday schools that will be, uh, be going on. It's been a good study. It's been challenging for me and good to think through some of these uh, things. Goal today is to re-engage and think about wisdom. We talked some about that last week and at why we need wisdom as we begin to look at all of the things that go into decision-making. You remember we had all of these uh, dynamics that happen in decision-making, the action, the attitude, the motives, the results. And then uh, we spent a lot of time thinking about guidance last week. How are we guided? Uh, what are objective as we move from objective guidance to more subjective? So scripture, wise counsel, uh, additional research on the issue at hand, uh, maybe my own self-understanding. Uh, how has God wired me? Uh, what are my desires? Where's, what's my heart in this particular uh, decision that I might be faced with? Change circumstances, all of that. So we need wisdom. So I want to I want to re I want to re-engage with that. And then I want to think about, and I left you with this last week, is there ever a time when there will be what is called in our lives, uh, we might confront a tragic moral choice? In other words, will I be confronted, will a Christian be confronted with a situation and where I uh, have the only two possible choices are sinful choices and I've got to choose the lesser of two evils, if you've heard of that, if you've heard of that phrase. So I want to get into that. But I want that question, I want that uh, dialogue to be guided by something that I've really, and I think it gets into this a lot, the concept of uh, the sanctity of, we talk a lot about in Christian ethics, the sanctity of life. You think about abortion, you think about end-of-life things, but this I want to talk about is the sanctity of truth. How does truth, the concept of truth, um, help us as we think through that? Now, I will, off the top here, say that there are good people on both sides of this question, not on the question of truth, but on the question of will, will there be an, an issue in your life or in a Christian's life that uh, you, the only, it seems like the only two choices are, are uh, you know, I've got to choose the lesser of two evils. And there are people on both sides, Christian men, uh, theologians, people I respect, who, uh, who land on both sides of that. So the, the, the thinking here and the encouragement here is this. 
that you be a good Berean. Do you understand what I mean when I say that? You be a good Berean. So you, you search these things to see if they are true. That's what the Bereans did. Um, and um, don't just take what I'm saying. Uh, this really should cause you to uh, search the scriptures and to pray and to form convictions in this area. Uh, so uh, I want to I leave it a little open-ended on that just because there are, uh, there are men on both sides, good men, good people, both sides of this uh, dynamic. Okay, so let me pray for us, and then uh, I want to get into talking about wisdom again, re-looking re, uh, into that. Our Father, we're grateful for this morning and for a chance that we can um, gather and to um, be here uh, on this Lord's Day that you have set aside a day that we may come and worship and and to join our voices in praise and to settle our hearts uh, under the authority of your word. Pray that you would help us in this this morning, not only in this class, but in our main uh, worship time together. I thank you for those who have gathered and Lord, all the many and various uh, things that are happening in their lives, relationally, physically, uh, uh, what might be going on in their minds, I pray that you would uh, be help, uh, helping them by your spirit, by your word, to encourage them in their walk, to encourage them to a, a greater love for you and a, and a more detachment from this world. We would always be looking to a righteousness that is not our own. Uh, we would be looking to heaven as our home, that we are just sojourners here. And so uh, ask to that end. Help us as we think about wisdom and, and ethics and truth, the nature of truth indeed. And so we um, pray for your favor and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter, th uh, chapter 4. Let's start there. Now let's do a little review. What Do you remember any of our definitions that when we were talking about wisdom last week, any of our definitions that we were using? Definitions of wisdom, how we might think through that. Applied knowledge. Good. Applied knowledge. Uh, do you remember the new definition we used from John Frame of ethics. It, it went like this. Ethics is, or ethical decision making, shall I say that? Ethical decision making is the application of God's revelation to a problem by a person. So you're taking God's word and you're, you're going to apply that to a problem, whatever the situation is, and that takes wisdom. So I've got to apply applied knowledge. What do I know about scriptures? What has God said? Uh, Frame also said this, that wisdom, this is new, wisdom is knowing how rather or merely than knowing that. Knowing how more than just merely knowing that. So I, I know that, it's this body of knowledge, but knowing how, how do I take this knowledge and use it for the glory of God. And we've been talking about ethics for the glory of God. Let me give you another definition. 
of wisdom. And I'm reading this. Some of you are familiar with the, uh, the pub- monthly publication out of Ligonier Ministries, Table Talk. Maybe some of you have this. This was a recent edition here, and, he, and uh, this particular author says this. What does the Bible mean by true wisdom? We may speak of it as godly understanding and a faithful orientation. And then he goes into three things, okay? Godly understanding and a faithful orientation to live, one, before the God we fear, two, for the God we love, and three, for the lasting benefit of God's other creatures, whom he from the beginning purposed to bless. So, before the God we love, for the God, I'm sorry, before the God we fear, for the God we love, for the benefit of others. So now let's look at Proverbs 4. Start in verse, and of course Proverbs is is full of uh, wisdom, but in the initial chapters there is this exhortation to wisdom. Look at chapter 4 verse 5. Does somebody want to read uh, chapter 4, verses 5 through 9? Thanks. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. All right, thank you. you, Isn't this interesting, even in seven? Here's the beginning of wisdom. Get wisdom. Like the exhortation, if this is the beginning of wisdom, get it. Get wisdom. uh, Get insight. Prize her highly. She will exalt you. Uh, Do not forget. Do not turn away. Verse five. Uh, So we are exhorted to get wisdom. Obtain wisdom. Look for wisdom. Go back to chapter 3 in Proverbs. You're, you're there already, but just a page back. And start in verse uh, 13. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than... There's these better than statements in Proverbs. Is better than... Gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor, and her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, and those who hold fast to her are called blessed. There's a blessing with getting wisdom. There is a blessing with getting wisdom. We're commanded to get wisdom. There's a blessing to get wisdom or to obtain wisdom. And then last week we looked at James chapter 5 and we are, I'm sorry, James chapter 1 verses 5 through 8 and we are, James exhorts us to ask for wisdom. Uh, Which I find myself doing on a daily, perhaps hourly basis. Oh Lord, I need I need wisdom in this area. I need your help. Would you help me in this decision? Um, not mo- mo- and you you know this. I mean, most of you I see you've lived um, lives that 
Um, most of our decisions are not these ethical quandaries, right? These ethical dilemmas. Now, we might have some. But a lot of them are, are how do I live? All these things that we've been talking about for the last five or six weeks, how do I live in light of what you've said? How do I apply this? How do I live this out? I, I'm, and I just feel I'm myself crying out for wisdom. And uh, it feels so small and, and um, helpless sometimes. And it's good that I think the Lord wants us there. It's humility. Um, can I use this word? What is the presuppositional nature of wisdom? Okay, so where is the, there's a blessing of obtaining wisdom. We're exhorted to get wisdom. James says we should ask for wisdom. We know we need wisdom because of all the dynamics that go into decision making. But let me add this. The presuppositional nature of wisdom. And yet the very root. How can we think about wisdom? So look at, go to Colossians chapter 2. This is a little bit, uh, it's sometimes hard when you find a verse that you want to look at. It's in the middle of a phrase. But Colossians 2, uh, you just start in verse 1. And there's kind of this extended uh, phrase or this sentence that Paul is speaking to the Colossians. For I want you to know, chapter 2, verse 1, how great a struggle I, I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now look, 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 verse 3. Which is Christ in whom are hidden, in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you need wisdom? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says in another place, in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, uh, you know, you've, you've heard this, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, we preach Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Do you understand when I say the presuppositional nature of wisdom? All wisdom is found in Christ. Christ has become, if we are in Christ, Christ has become wisdom of God for us. I would say, yes, I would say that a person cannot be truly wise in the biblical sense without Christ. The biblical, so how does the Bible talk about the fool? You see that the, the, uh, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. How does, how does the Bible speak of the, of the fool? He has said in, their, in his heart there is no God. People who are not rightly related, and that's why I said last week, we're talking about the concept of wisdom, wisdom literature, said, how can I live all of life, quorum Deo, before the face of God? How am I? I have to first be rightly related to God before I can be wise. 
or have any sense of wisdom. And people outside of Christ are not rightly related to God. Now there is a common, sort of a common, uh, even in their lostness, people can, you know, there are scientists who are brilliant, right? In their lostness, but they're lost. And they're not truly what, in the way Scripture speaks of wisdom. Um, I, I would, I, yeah, I, I, that's, what, that's what I would think. As he was asking that question, and you were talking earlier, if you go a little bit further in James, mm. and I think this is helpful in 3.17, the wisdom that comes from above or from heaven. Mm. You know, so it's distinguishing that. And then it says it's first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. You know, capture some of the things you were saying earlier. You know, that gives us kind of a definition. Yeah. What does it look like? It's oh. pure. It's peace-loving. Yep. It's considerate. That's, yeah, that's very helpful. Reference on that, James 3? Uh, yeah, James 3, uh, 17 and 18. Okay, very helpful as you, as you want to see a description of wisdom, right? From above, found in Christ. Do you have a, do you have a thought? Right. Yeah, and that was, yep, yeah, good, thank you. That was kind of that third piece of that, that uh, earlier definition I said. So, faithful orientation to live before God, the God we fear, which unbelievers do not fear God, right? For the God we love, they do not love God, and for the lasting benefit of God's other creatures, the blessings of that. So, uh, no, that's great. I, I think this is helpful the presuppositional nature of wisdom from above, in Christ, begins with the fear of the Lord. We saw that last week, uh, Proverbs 9. Uh, this is the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And then, uh, just one last uh, thought here. Psalm uh, 36, just a quick verse. You know, I can give it to you. It's Psalm 36, 9. Let me read that for you. For with you is the fountain of life, and this is it, in your light, in your light, we see light. Well, this is kind of a little bit deep there. In your light, so in the light of biblical revelation, in the light of what God has shown us, this is God's world. We live in God's world. It's not our world, right? And so how has God revealed himself? What has God said about this world? It's in light of that that we can understand things. In your light, we see light. Even the light that we need to see, it has to come from God. Okay? So the takeaway on this is that we need wisdom because of the complexities and the dimensions, the dynamics that go into decision-making. Questions or other comments about that? So, this was originally written in Hebrew, and there's many different languages for which to describe the truth. So, I'm thinking that we should be somewhat careful when we're discerning whether or not someone is in Christ based on their culture, ethnicity, or their religion, or their language. It's possible for Christ to work through the power of the Holy Spirit within their culture, ethnicity, race, religion.
it could be drawing them to Christ using a different way of describing it other than, say, the King James Version of the Bible. That we, <clears throat> that we need to approach it with sensitivity and discernment. Yeah, I would, I would agree that we don't know where people are in terms of their understanding of Christ. I don't know if I'm walking along um, <clears throat> out in public at a store or something. I don't know where people are. Um, I, w- I would agree with that, and I, I don't know that I was making a comment with that. I'm saying the general, in general, people outside of Christ, right? So I don't know people personally, but I'm saying those who are outside of Christ, factual, outside of Christ, uh, do not have the wisdom that, we're, that we've been talking about. Um, yeah, so, right, the sensitivity to where, where people are, and I, I guess that wasn't really uh, the comment that I was making, but I, I understand what you're saying. Um, okay, any, any other thoughts on, on wisdom? I was thinking that one scripture, those who hate wisdom love death, and I don't know where it is, hmm. yeah. <laughs> but I remember it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that off the top of my head either, that reference. Um, it's probably, it sounds like it's, it sounds very uh, much in Proverbs. Um, so let, uh, let me see here, I had, uh, if I had anything else in that area, Okay, let's do this then. Here, so I want to move now because so I've, I've hopefully we've laid a foundation to this next topic, and it is the possible. It, the, I'm sorry, the impossible or the tragic moral choice. Will Christians be presented with a decision in which there's no option but to choose a lesser sin? In other words, the only the only possible choices are sinful ones. Now, here's the scenario, and it's the classic that most of you are familiar with. Uh, usually gets talked about in, in Christian colleges or maybe even secular colleges or the, the ethics teacher wants to pose a dilemma and, and uh, put you in this situation. So here's, and you know the situation, it's the, the uh, Nazi Jew uh, argument. So it goes like this, World War II, you are a Christian, you are um, hiding uh, Jews in your basement somewhere or maybe in your attic or something like this. And there's a knock on the door, and it's the Gestapo, or it's the SS, or whoever it is, and they want to know if you are hiding Jews. And they ask you, they knock on the door, they, and there they are with their guns and their uniforms, and uh, you have them in your basement. Yes, indeed, you do have them. And the question is, uh, are you hiding Jews in your basement? And so before we answer, how, I just want to uh, sort of identify um, options here before we come down to any conclusions. <laughs> Do we have any, uh, what are our options at this point in a situation like this? They're asking you, Do you are you harboring Jews? So what are your options? You think, you think to yourself, God said, Thou shalt not lie, so I'm going to tell them the truth, and the Jews are going to get killed. I can tell. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an option. I can tell them the truth. Yes, in fact, they're upstairs. We have an attic access, and they're up, they're up there. You can tell the truth? So they go up there, and there's nobody up there because you're hiding. Or you can lie. <laughs> that's right. that's you the can option. tell them uh, they're up <coughs> That gets into a whole other thing. Is uh, yeah, this is why I want to think through the sanctity of truth, this whole concept of truth. But go ahead. 
Okay, so Rahab, so, so generally people will, will, will move to this passage in Joshua. Well, it's, it would seem that the Bible has a story here of uh, someone who, who hides Jews and uh, lies about it, and, they, and it works out. Everything works out. Do that. Yeah, so if some of you have read The Hiding Place, and maybe you're familiar with this, this story. I have not, I've read, these, I've read this particular passage. I've not read the cover to cover. So, so you can uh, tell the truth. Um, that, that usually the thought is this. If I tell the truth, I'm, betraying innocent, I'm going to betray innocent life. Right? I mean, there's, there really are people. And uh, is there a case where I can... Um, not tell the truth, or I can lie, uh, for the greater purpose of preserving life. Uh, or I can lie, and, and um, or I'm sorry, I can lie and thereby protect, uh, protect life. If I tell the truth, I'm going to um, betray innocent life, so therefore I want to lie and uh, protect. And so sometimes this is called a lie. Uh, some of the literature is, this is a lie of expediency. Or a lie of necessity. Can somebody say something that is not true uh, for a greater good, a greater purpose? The Egyptian midwives. So the Pharaoh says what? So when you uh, when the midwives are there and they're birthing, the 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 the, the Israelite women are are having are giving birth. And then you see that it's a boy, kill the boy. And what do they say? Does anybody remember just sort of summarize? They give birth too quickly. Yeah, yeah, by the time we get there, they've already already been born. Uh, So then later, if you keep reading that, it's interesting that he gives the next next, uh, command that they're all to be thrown in the Nile. So there's something about the immediacy of that birthing. It says the birthing stool, actually. I'm not sure if that's a cultural thing, but... Um, there's something going on there. And the question is, here there are several questions. Again, sanctity of truth. I don't want to miss sight of this. And the other is, in these two examples, Rahab, and Har- uh, Rahab the harlot and the Egyptian midwives, what is the genre of, these, uh, of this, of, the, of these two stories? I just gave it away. What is the genre? History? As told in what style? Narrative. Narrative. Okay. That, so I just, I, I'm just throwing these out here for you all to consider. Okay. These are narratives. A lot of scripture is narrative. And this gets a little bit into hermeneutics, which is the science of interpretation. But one of the questions that you have to ask yourself as you're reading scripture and you're looking at different genres is okay, this is narrative. Is narrative, so this is uh, descriptive, narrative is descriptive, right? It's describing what happened, it's describing an event. Is the descriptive prescriptive? Okay, so when you, 
so when you're reading narrative and you know it's describing something, does that mean that it's prescriptive, meaning this is how we should do things, right? The prescriptive or the descriptive turns to the prescriptive, and the question is, is that the way we are to interpret scripture? Is that how you interpret narrative? No, because you got to think of multiple lives and the stories. Yeah. And, yeah. There's, all, there's all sorts of, of things going on in the narrative that may or may not be upholding something that we would want to emulate or want to follow, right? And you think all throughout the, uh, just yeah, just the Old Testament stories. Um, I mean, Abraham lied. He lied twice about his wife, right? And uh, said he was said she was his sister, <laughs> to avoid uh, the Egyptians and all. God commissioned a lying spirit. Uh, okay, help me with that one. Okay. Okay. And, uh, he uh, didn't like this one prophet who was telling him the truth. You go to battle, you're going to die. And all of his fellows, you know, all of his prophets he liked were encouraging this one prophet, now tell him what he wants to hear. Right. <laughs> and so okay. Uh, God, God in his counsel, I guess, was saying, okay, so what, sh what should I do? Okay. I'm not sure what to do with that. <laughs> um, well, you also have God sent them a delusion. Yes. They would believe a lie. Yep. There, there are a lot of things to consider. Uh, what is a lie? Let's just, just maybe define our terms. What does it mean to lie? To, to tell someone something that's not true. Okay. Um, in the noun form, it's something that something you say that you know is not true. In the verb form, is to say something that is not true in order to deceive. Uh, the textbook that I'm using here is uh, Wayne Grudem. He defines lying in this way. Verbal, and he, he makes a point of, of saying it's verbal because there's something else that happens when you're doing action. Uh, a verbal affirmation of something one believes to be false or affirming in writing or speech, writing or speech, something you believe to be false. There's a difference between verbal saying something or writing something because we're using the, 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 the medium of words versus... Uh, um, action, okay? Can actions be deceiving? Are actions true or false? Is that a lie? About um, some of you watch football and you know that uh, both sides, offense and defense, disguise their plays even as they are occurring. You have motion on the offense running around before the play, before the snap. You have defenses who disguise. These are, these are, is this, are, are we acting out lies here because we're deceiving the other team? People participating, if you're participating in this sort of thing. What about a head fake in basketball? You get the other guy to jump. You weren't actually going to jump. You know all the whole time you weren't going to shoot the ball. You were going to head fake. Got the guy off. Uh, you got him right. 
Is that a lie? It's an action. So, so even in the even in this, you've got to think through our our our. You have verbal affirmations of something that are not of something that you know that is not true. And he makes a distinction because do do any of you leave the lights on when you leave for the evening, the house? I do. Is that a lie? You're not there. You're telling somebody you're hoping that they see those lights and they, 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 they're like, oh, somebody's home. I better not uh, go rob their house. Right? And these are the things that you've got to think through. Sanctity of truth. We want to be truthful people because in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And tr- let, me, let, let's, let me do this. Um, where do I have those notes? Um, uh, where are those? wrote them down here um, I seem to have misplaced them let's think about this what are uh, are those our only two options with well, let's go back to the Nazis in the Jew question is are those our only two options either lie or tell the truth can you do anything else you, okay, so silence is an option. How could you answer them and not tell them uh, anything, yay or nay, true or false? Uh, how could you answer them verbally without affirming something you know to be uh, false? You could speak in Bengali. You could speak in another language? <laughs> if you know it. If you know it. Okay. But, 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 but you can't say, well, I say, okay, I'll, I'll be okay with that, I guess. Spoken another language? No, no, no. Not that. <laughs> Sorry. He didn't say anything. Yeah. So he was silent. Uh, silence is uh, something that Christ himself did when confronted with a question. An answer that's neither a truth or a lie. Well, okay. Right. Um, okay. Go ahead. Right. So you, you can invite them in and do nothing. Right. Uh, you can say, "How dare you?" Right. I mean, you can actually turn it the other the other direction. Um, I will not be a part of what you are trying to do. Like, you're not saying neither here nor there, right? You're, you're, you're confronting them with, with what they're doing. Um, you can share the gospel. You can, you, can, you can give and offer hospitality. I mean, there's other things to do. Uh, and I think part of what this whole, what I want you to see, first of all, is that um, you have other options. It's not... Sometimes in logic, you hear this phrase, you're on the horns of a dilemma. In the horns, two horns, right? I either have this or this, and I have no other. No, you, there are a lot of other options. There are a lot of other options. Well, would some of those other options be just as bad, like David? Oh, he was, he was acting as he was insane. So, what do you, so are you at...
Yeah. Yeah, th again, this goes back to those as you're reading narratives and you're, you're, you're asking yourself, what is, what is the reason for this story and how is it advancing what the, as God's revealing himself? Okay, especially in narrative. We have to be careful with narrative that we don't say that what is being described is actually being prescribed. Okay, um, so yeah, that, that is a question. There's others. Um, there, there were several examples in the in the book that I was using um, that would have narrative examples of. Well, you have you go to Hebrews and isn't Rahab uh, upheld as a as a woman of faith? What do you do with that? Read the text. Oh, go ahead. And we spoke about this lot. Yes, go ahead. So your conscience would be clear. We talked about we should not sin. We're going to actually speak, um, um, I'm, as the Lord wills, next, uh, next semester I want to speak about conscience more clearly uh, as we get into more dicey issues. Here's John Frame. I said there are good men on both sides of this uh, who, who think through this. Um, and this is a quote. John Frame has written some excellent work. He uh, is a brother. So we, and here, this is him. So we have no obligation to tell the truth to people who, for example, seek innocent life. Uh, he goes on to say, here's an ethical dilemma. During World War II, Christian is sheltering Jews in his home, protecting them from the Nazis. SS officers come to the door, ask him directly where he is hiding the Jews. In this case, now this is, again, this is John Frame, I think the obligation is clearly to deceive this SS. If there are any chance to mislead the officers, as Rahab misled the officers of her own people, uh, I think the Christian should have availed himself of that strategy. You have somebody who is who's saying, I, I, they think you can, you can land there. Wayne Grudem will say there is absolutely never a time when you are allowed to lie. So he's, he's on the exact opposite. He'd be on the exact opposite side of that. And so I want to think about this as we think about the sanctity of truth. Uh, what does the word sanctity mean? Any thoughts? Set apart, holy, sacred, uh, truth, okay? Think back about five weeks when we talked about the basis of ethics. Basis of ethics. What did we say the basis of ethics was? Do you remember? <laughs> Source of ethics we see is the word of God. That's where we go. Basis of ethics. Okay, that's the definition. Ethics is what we ought to do. The basis of ethics, if you recall, is the very character of God himself. So what do we know about God as he relates to truth? He is the truth, right? Um, God is, so turn to uh, John, not there yet in our preaching series, but John chapter 17. Uh, is that right? Is that where I wanted to go? 